I'm reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. But it's good to uh, be with you, good to uh, uh, have the opportunity to minister to you this morning um, from uh, this passage uh, as we continue our look into the Gospel of Matthew. Now, um, we've had it read to us, um, but I hope that passage is, is at least somewhat familiar to you. Um, it's an event that's, that's mentioned in um, three of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke mention it in varying detail, so uh, that should also raise our senses to the importance of it to the Gospel story, the fact that God has decided it was so important to include it three times. Now, I also trust that each one of you here is human, I say that uh, because I I need you to know what it is to be tempted. And it is common to all of us. You know the kind of thing um, when we are tempted, for example, sleep in. It's Sunday. You've had a hard week. Have another biscuit. They're only small. Oh, Oh, and there's cake. Sit for a while longer. Watch another episode. You need to know what happens next. Gaze a little longer. It's only a picture. It's not real. Tell them a little more of the juicy details. After all, it'll help them pray for the situation, and that's a good thing. Stay and work a little longer. Your family will still be there when you get home, and you're working to provide for them. I could go on, but those are just some of the many temptations that I have personally known, and I'm sure you know uh, either the same or similar temptations that have come to you. Now, when growing up, um, I, I learned a simple lesson from this passage in all the times that uh, I was taught it. That when, uh, when tempted, Jesus spoke back to the devil using scripture texts, and the devil left him. And that's what you can do too. It sounded so easy. But I wonder if your experience of trying to do the same has fared any better than mine. 
As you spend more time reading and meditating on this text, the passage raises so many more questions uh, than that simple one. For starters, why did the Holy Spirit take Jesus into the wilderness in the first place? If the Spirit led him, does that mean that God was tempting Jesus? Does he tempt me? Why did the devil tempt Jesus in those particular ways? They seem trivial almost compared to what I experience in my life. How did Jesus know which verses to use? Were, were the, was it the words themselves that, that pushed Satan away? Uh, do, do I just need to know the right words to avoid sin? And besides all of that, Jesus is God. Can, can we possibly stand as strongly as he did when faced with temptations? Again, lots of questions, just a few examples there. I'm sure you can think of more uh, as, as you've sat there and heard it or as you continue to read it yourselves. You'd also know that I can't answer all of those questions with any level of detail in the next 20, 25 minutes. But let's ask God to at least give us the answers to some of them while we're here together now. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we long to hear from you this morning through your word. Lord, may we know the untold blessings of grace that come from hearing your voice speaking with clarity to our hearts today. Lord, we want to hear the voice of our loving Heavenly Father speaking to us, your children. Father, we ask this for your glory. Amen. Okay, now, um, we need to remind ourselves again, James uh, kind of gave us the picture last week, but what is Matthew's purpose in writing this gospel? Why is he writing in the way that he's doing? Why is he writing this account? And we've said, as we've given the title to our sermon series, it's about king and kingdom. Now, we're going to pause just for a few minutes. Uh, we've, we've been talking um, about the Sunday School and what they've been doing. And I, and I know you're desperate to know uh, this new curriculum that we're, we're teaching them. Um, and um, uh, it's, it, it's fantastic. I, I want to share with you um, a short video that they're actually watching today. Um, as we were setting it all up, um, I, I, I watched the video and I'm like, that's perfect. We, we need to watch that ourselves as well. So it's a double hit. You get, you get to enjoy what they're enjoying, but also uh, it teases up really nicely for what we're going to be looking at today. So because the lights are so bright and they've never been like this, we're going to turn the lights off, hold, hold fast, and then we'll watch the video. There in the perfect paradise of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. His intention was for them to distrust the truth of what God had said. They fell into that temptation. They chose to trust the word of the devil instead of God. As a result, they were judged. They were thrown out of God's perfect paradise and were condemned to death. In one sense, what, what Jesus goes through in these temptations is a parallel to that first satanic attack on humanity. Adam and Eve and Jesus were all challenged to distrust God's word. When Satan says in the garden, did God really say? When God, uh, oh, sorry, he says that to Adam and Eve, but it sounds an awful lot like if you are the son of God, when God had just said to Jesus, as we heard last week, this is my beloved son. The first Adam fell. How would Jesus, the second Adam, fare when faced 
with temptation. Where Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit, Jesus would refuse to create food for himself, food that was outside of the will of God for him to eat. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus prevailed. But when Adam and Eve were tempted, they lived in the perfect beauty and comfort of the Garden of Eden. Jesus was tempted in a harsh and barren wilderness. So clearly there are some differences here as well as similarities. So are there other Old Testament passages that can help us with these parallels to what Jesus experiences? Well, well, yes, there are. In the book of Exodus, we read of Israel, God's chosen people, and their plight and their subsequent flight from Egypt into a wilderness. In Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, Moses tells the people, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. With Jesus' 40 days of fasting also echoing the 40 years of testing that Israel had faced, this period in Israel's history, and specifically this section of Deuteronomy, was clearly front and center of Jesus' mind at the time of his temptation. And we know that because the verses he quotes in response to each of the three temptations are drawn from these three chapters in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapters 6, 7, and 8. Now this makes sense because even in the Old Testament, Israel is spoken of as God's son. When God told Moses to speak to Pharaoh, he says in Exodus 4, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And again, the prophet Hosea writes in, in uh, chapter 11 and verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Israel had been chosen by God. They were a people chosen by God to be his representatives on earth, to be a beacon of hope to any who would look. In this sense, a son who would point the way to the Father. They would point the way to God and point the way to his plan for salvation. But Israel was an unfaithful son. Rather than trusting God, they turned to idolatry. They worshipped other gods. They didn't honor the promises that they had made to God to follow him. But Jesus was a better Israel. He was a perfect Israel, a son who would obey every command of his father. Ultimately, even Hosea's prophecy there was fulfilled by Jesus after he'd sought refuge from King Herod in Egypt. In a sense, he has his own exodus as he is brought out of Egypt and back to the promised land. Where Israel failed, Jesus prevailed. Now when it comes to the three temptations, it's important to remember that, that while the Holy Spirit has led Jesus to this place, God's purpose in doing so is to test Jesus as he had tested Israel in the wilderness. 
as we read in James, God cannot tempt anyone to sin, but he does test those that he loves, especially his children. But his goal in testing us is always positive. It is to prove our faithfulness and to allow us to grow in our trust of him, our trust in the word of God as we go through that trial. On the other hand, the devil, as we saw in the video, seeks to destroy, to tear down God's good purposes, to thwart God's plans. And so he will tempt us to sin. That is to commit treason against the holy Lord God. Now on the face of it, that first temptation seems to be just about food. We know Jesus was hungry. He'd been in the desert for 40 days. He hadn't eaten. And the scripture tells us he was hungry. So was this just about making food to eat? Was it just about satisfying his physical need? Well, his response suggests something far deeper, something less superficial. There would be nothing wrong with him eating. But this was not the way he should go about it. The temptation was to think that God was not providing for him what he needed and instead to take matters into his own hands, to claim back the power that he had set aside when he became human and to do things some other way. But Jesus flatly refuses to accept God's plan Sorry, except to accept that that is God's plan for him. He knows that God's plan of provision for him is perfect. He knows that what is most important is to obey God's word and to hear him, to listen to him and, and to do what he has said. And so he refuses to listen to Satan. And we know this too, don't we? Our own desires, we have them. They're mostly good. We want to do what is right. We want to do what God has planned for us. But those desires can also be corrupted into sinful self-gratification. Getting something because I want it and I think that God is not giving it to me. Give it to me now. I want this on my terms not yours, God. Know this, brothers and sisters, the sin, sorry, the bread of sin never satisfies. It only destroys. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. A second time, the devil challenges God's word with the, if you are the son of God, lead in. But this time he also quotes God's word himself, almost playing Jesus' game in reverse. This time it's Psalm 91, a psalm about God's protection. But the way God, uh, that Satan uses it, he uses it in a way to throw doubt on God's word. Go on, Satan says, prove it. Prove that you're God's son. Put yourself in a situation where God will be forced to save you. But Jesus again recognizes immediately what the devil is up to. 
He knows that he is twisting one scripture in order to undermine God's word elsewhere. Jesus responds with another quote from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, which speaks to Israel putting God to the test over water at Massa and Meribah. The place of quarreling where the people quarreled and because they tested the Lord God by saying, is the Lord among us or not? But Jesus, this better Israel, refuses to do that. Instead, he points to God's steadfast and unchanging character. I wonder if you do that as well. Do you put him to the test and show your distrust of him as you do so? Do you really love me, Lord? If you loved me, you wouldn't let this happen to me. If you really loved me, I'd have everything that they've got. I'd have all of those wonderful things. Do you even care about me, Lord? As we'll hear in a few weeks, uh, time when we reach Matthew 6, we'll see that God cares about the sparrows and the lilies of the field. How much more do you think he cares about you, his children? Brothers, sisters, God is a perfect father and we find perfect rest in the shelter of his wing and we find their eternal security. The third recorded uh, temptation here for us. In this one, the devil offers Jesus a pain-free shortcut to gain his crown. It's as if he says, why go through a difficult life, Jesus, and then have to endure a crucifixion? I'll give you what is rightfully yours now. I'll give you that kingdom. I'll give you that crown. Just bow down and worship me. Here is a route to a kingdom that doesn't go via the cross. But again, Jesus doesn't bite. He refuses to submit to the prince of lies. Israel had faltered. They had turned to idolatry. They had served other gods. But Jesus won't uh, break the express command of God. Be gone, Satan, he says. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Peter would later suggest a similar shortcut to Jesus. And Jesus' response to him was similarly forthright. Do you remember it? Get behind me, Satan. And with that, Satan left Jesus for now. God's angels immediately attend to all of Jesus' needs, both physical and spiritual. They no doubt fed him. Satan had offered him stones to, to turn into bread. The angels come and they minister to him with bread of heaven, bread from God. Satan had goaded Christ to, to call out and, and test God for protection. They had been there the whole time, ready to step in at a moment's notice if they were needed to protect the king should he call. I'm sure they worshipped him because angels do when they're in the presence of the Holy God. And here they were ministering to the Son of God in person. 
when I think back to my simple Sunday school understanding of these temptations. I realize now that Jesus didn't just use the right words to talk back to the devil, as if he was conjuring some kind of spell. No, his rebukes came from a knowledge of God's word, yes, but that knowledge was the overflow of an abiding and surpassing love for his father. A love that ran so deeply that he utterly refused to deny God's honor by entertaining the lies of Satan's lips, even for a moment. In Jesus, we have a perfect king and a perfect savior. He is one who understands everything we go through on a day-to-day basis, and he loves us. He knows our frailty. He knows we struggle to resist sin. He knows that we fall. And yet in his perfection, he still went to the cross to redeem us. He went to the cross because we are his. In Hebrews we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every res- sorry, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In Jesus we have a king who ransoms us from sin by his righteous blood. Again, Hebrews 2 this time. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It's Hebrews 2.17. So how can we stand against this enemy? How can we stand against the wiles of the devil? Well, certainly not in our own strength. Whenever we try that, we fail. But we can stand in the strength of Christ, our King. Our King who has already faced every temptation that is known to man. And we fight with the sword of the Holy Spirit, God's Word. And we know that through it all, He will hold us fast. James told us a few weeks ago that um, our desire as elders for this church is for us all to know Jesus better and to love Jesus more. As that happens, and we we pray that it will happen, sin won't just go away, but our desire will be increasingly that we want Jesus more than we want the results of sin. We want to know Jesus more deeply than we want the fleeting results, outcomes of sinful behavior. Temptations don't just disappear for the Christian. Ask anyone here who has been a Christian for any length of time, they will tell you that it's a sad truth. Brothers and sisters, we are in a spiritual war and it is waged every day and every night. Our enemy is defeated but is not giving in and will wage uh, 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 and fight every battle. But you can 
stand. Scripture tells us that we must stand. And also remember that God permits these tests, not that we would fall, but that our faithfulness to him might be proven. And that not just to ourselves, but that they would stand as a testimony to his grace at work in our lives. As I've said, Satan's goal is to destroy, but God's goal is your sanctification. In 1 Peter, we read, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In Romans 12, we read, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's desire for you is to be like his son, to become like his son. And he always wants what is best for you. Sometimes that means facing the enemy like Jesus did. But know this, we do not stand alone in this fight. We stand with a comforter. No, not a big blanket that is snugly and warm. Comforter comes from the Latin com, meaning with, and musicians, forte means strong, with strength. The comforter is the one who stands and brings strength to us. He stands alongside us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and will strengthen us in that time of testing. That's encouragement if you are here as a Christian, but what if you are not, if you don't know the Lord? What if you're here today and and you recognize you don't even know this Jesus? Well, then let me encourage you to listen for his voice calling you today. Don't ignore him. Come, speak with me or one of the other elders here. Grab us over coffee afterwards or or ask us to, to give you a call during the week, whatever. Jesus wants to be known by you. Hear his voice. Know the one who died in your place this morning. May this be the day of salvation. Jesus' trial as the second Adam ended in triumph. He stood firm where Adam fell. Where the imperfect Israel failed, the righteous son succeeded. The king has been tested. He did not compromise. He's faced the prince of lies. He's been proven in the fire of temptation and has been found worthy of of his crown. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we have an advocate who stands before the throne speaking to you on our behalf. We thank you that his name is Jesus. 
We thank you that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you, Father, for what he did here on earth. We thank you that he was tested and that he came through that test perfectly. We thank you that he didn't dodge the cross, but endured the shame of it, endured the pain of it, that he died the death that we could never possibly achieve, that his death paid for our sin, that we might be reconciled with you. Our Father, we thank you that you called us as your children. You have adopted us into your family. Father, help us to stand, we pray. Lord, we face a barrage of temptations, of opportunities to sin every single moment of our lives. Lord, sometimes we fall and we ask for your forgiveness when we do so. But Lord, we do also stand. We want to stand, Lord God. Strengthen us, we pray. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit that we would know that comfort, that strength that comes from him within us. Lord, that we would give glory to you and on that final day, Lord, you, we would sing among the saints glory to the Lamb that was slain. Father, for any here that do not know you, Lord, I pray you would give them new hearts that they would turn to you, that their desires too would be to worship and honor you. Father, do this, we pray, because you are a loving and faithful God. Amen.